Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Pharisee Watch and Unheralded News, we've got some really interesting pieces. Our leadoff story is about the actions of the United States Congress, once again showing that their allegiance really is not to the Constitution, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, but to the state of Israel. A bill that was passed by the tune of 411 to 2, the bill H.R. 4133, United States-Israel Enhanced Security Cooperation Act of 2012. And in a related article in Mondo Weiss by Josh Rubner, Josh is the National Advocacy Director of the U.S. Campaign to End the Israeli Occupation. And he was a former analyst in Middle East Affairs at Congressional Research Services. Here's in part what he had to say in an article May 12th that appeared in Mondo Weiss, how support for Israel damages prospects for peace. By once again demonstrating Congress's bottomless cup of magnificence for Israel, actions this week by the House of Representatives make painful across-the-board budget cuts more likely. U.S. taxpayers will be even more complicit than before in bankrolling Israel's nearly 45-year military occupation of the Palestinian West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza Strip. Additionally, the American quote-unquote generosity will shred whatever little credibility the United States has left in attempting to portray itself as a quote honest broker, unquote, to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict on an equitable basis. And urging new weapons systems for Israel could help facilitate an attack on Iran. On Monday, the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Defense released its draft 2013 budget bill, which includes an eye-popping $949 million for the research, development, and procurement of anti-missile systems to benefit Israel, including $680 million to purchase additional iron drone batteries. Now, these iron drone batteries are the technology to fire at these homemade Qassam rockets that come out of Gaza. And so we're spending millions of dollars in addition to the $3 billion in military aid that we give the Israelis every year. And what is significant about this United States-Israel Enhanced Security Cooperation Act is this note. I went to the uh, govtrack.us, and you can actually look at the legislation, and you can also see the votes when they are called up. But this is very interesting and very telling. This is a note from the government website. This vote was taken under a procedure called, quote, suspension of the rules, unquote, which is typically used to pass non-controversial bills. Votes under suspension require a two-thirds majority. 
a failed vote under suspension can be taken again. Well, it's pretty obvious that this is APAC-inspired. Joss Rubner went on to say, in addition, on Wednesday, the House voted 411 to 2 with 9 abstentions to pass the APAC-inspired U.S.-Israel Enhanced Security Cooperation Act, a resolution with far-reaching implications for making the United States more complicit in Israel's human rights abuses of the Palestinian people and for facilitating Israeli strike against Iran. Although no price tag is attached to this resolution, by dangling before Israel even greater promises of access to U.S. weapons, the resolution sets the stage for more taxpayer regress in the future. Now, there were two congressmen that voted against it. One was Congressman Ron Paul from Texas and a Congressman Dingle from, or Dinkle, from Michigan. And that was the total opposition to this bill. So it's no surprise why they suspended the rules to put this bill forward. Our next item is an interesting story about the Palestinian prisoners deal made in Israel. Leslie, would you read us this story? This is from, where is this from? The Guardian. The Guardian, okay, the, the British publication. Palestinian prisoners and end hunger strike. The Guardian, London, May 15, 2012. Israel says inmates have signed a deal that should allow them more visiting rights and better conditions in jails. Delivered significant concessions to an end a mass hunger strike by around 2,000 Palestinian prisoners on Monday in a deal that was hailed as a victory by Palestinian leaders on the eve of the most symbolic day in their calendar. Under the agreement, which was signed following mediation by Egypt and Jordan, Israel will end solitary confinement for all prisoners and allow around 400 prisoners from Gaza to receive family visits. It agreed to discuss improvements to prison conditions such as access to televisions and telephone calls. Prisoners on administrative detention orders Israel's term for imprisonment without charge or trial, the key issue behind the hunger strike, will not have their terms renewed without fresh information or evidence being brought before a military judge. In return, Palestinian prisoners' leaders have, quote, signed a commitment to completely halt terrorist activity inside Israeli prisons, unquote, including recruitment, practical support, funding, and coordination of operations, according to a statement released by the Israeli security agency Shin Bet. An Israeli government official acknowledged that Israel had, quote, gone the extra mile, unquote, in agreeing the terms to end the protest, but added the deal was intended to be an, quote, inducement, unquote, to the Palestinian leadership to return to peace talks. Well, that's quite an amazing story, actually, that the things that must have been, they've had so much pressure that they had to do something. The fact that these administrative detentions, where they can hold people almost indefinitely without any charges, they're in, I think, three months increments, but they can keep renewing it. 
Chuck? Most people don't even dream that there are 1,500 civilians, uh, not military, but civilians, who are held in, Palestinians who are held in, in Israeli jails, but there are actually many, many more than that. This is just this one prison. And uh, of those, the number, they say, according to the story, 400 are Gazans who uh, have been taken out of their own homeland, Gaza, and put in this prison in the West Bank, 40 miles away, and of course their families never get to see them. So here they're, exposed, they're disclosing uh, that, they, that uh, these people are held without ever seeing their families, sometimes for years and years and years. But this is the, the nature of Israeli jails, and uh, this, this story is pretty pathetic because some of these people who were on strike had been foodless for 60, more than 60 days, and were on the verge of death. Others were, uh, hundreds of others, I guess 1,500 people actually joined the, the food strike. But the, the very fact that these things exist is uh, unknown to Americans and undisclosed in our press. And of course, none of this will ever really make the U.S. press. This was found only in The Guardian. Um, so that's the uniqueness of the story, I think. And there will be no outcry from our Congress for this, as we just saw from this first story about the uh, no special this resolution, resolution that was passed. Unanimously, without any dissent, saying that Israel will treat the prisoners in their jails humanely. And there was no such resolution passed in the Congress. It shows uh, the importance of the efforts and work uh, that go on to try to expose what Zionism is, and particularly in Christian churches because, of course, the people that should be outraged about this uh, are the very ones who are the humanitarians sitting in the pews of the tens of thousands of Christian churches in America. Right, because they count themselves as to be righteous, but they can conveniently turn their backs on this. They can be compassionate about every place else in the world except when it comes to Israel. That's pretty much sacrosanct as far as talking about it or not wanting to show respect to Israel because, after all, these people know that God gave the land to Israel and their belief, what they believe from the Bible, of course, as we've talked about and written about in our videos, the influence of the Schofield Reference Bible on the beliefs of millions, 40 to 70 million Christians are influenced by this who can literally turn their backs to the sufferings of even their fellow Christians in Palestine. That's the most remarkable thing to me, that how we have that. And, of course, it's hard to overcome this because of the media and our government that propagates all this propaganda about Israel being the victims. The next story here is about the hanging of a Mossad agent in Iran for killing a Iranian scientist. Chuck, would you give us the story, please? Now, this, this is probably a publication that we, you will read about. It'll uh, show the inhumanity of the Iranians uh, to take the life of, of a Mossad agent. They claim he's a Mossad agent. Pictures of him show a handsome young man who's very Arabic in his appearance, curly, beautiful curly Arabic hair, clean cut, nice features, and turned out that apparently, according to this, according to the story, he was proven to be an agent of Mossad. Supposedly he did 
confess, and uh, what he did was he simply killed a top nuclear scientist, a civilian, uh, leaving his family to go to work in the morning, and this agent simply came up and plastered a bomb, a very sophisticated bomb, on the motorcycle, and it blew him up. So these are the kind of high-tech assassinations that are conducted by agents of the Israeli government all the time. And so it's a very believable, although, of course, the press will probably claim that this is a frame job and that this never happened. The interesting point, of course, here is you have an execution by an Iranian of an Israeli, and that's going to uh, be objected to by the U.S. press, but you have the U.S. funding all kinds of programs that amount to nothing more than assassination programs of Israel against Palestinians, which they do all the time without any objection from the press. Well, an interesting side note, I did. I read a piece where this was a something on NBC that claimed that the uh, there was a piece to say that the United States didn't know or had no party to this. What was claimed, and I, I can't confirm this, and of course our CIA would want to distance themselves, but according to this report that... Mossad agents posing as CIA agents in Pakistan did some of the initial recruiting for killing scientists and so forth. And so, you know, we uh, do our best to try to distance ourselves, you know, for some of these activity. But, of course, we've got dirty laundry ourselves from the overthrow of, of the democratically elected leader in Iran to, uh, to put the Shah in power in 1953 and, We've done that over and over, and we've talked about that on other broadcasts. People need to also understand that there are corrupt Muslim Arabs and corrupt non-Muslim Arabs or secular Arabs who pretend to be Muslims but uh, don't practice anything. Some of these will sell out, and for money they will work for the Mossad. Part of it's because, uh, of course, there's a lot of poverty there, but part of it all is also the weakness and morality of of the human spirit and in every culture and every clan and no matter how hard pressed they are there will be traitors who will turn upon their own people and that's why the name of the, the Mossad agent sounds almost like the name of the man who's was killed they have both have Arabic names Majid Jamal Fashi is one and the other one is Mustafa Almadi Rashman who would know which one was the scientist working for the state of Iran and taking care of his family of five or ten, and which one is a Arab who actually sold out and became a killer for money. It does happen in their culture just like it happens in every one of our cultures, every one of our religions, every one of our faiths. There are people who will do that for money. Our next story uh, is uh, also in the Israel domain. It's in the domain of drone dominance. This story is from Salon.com, just published uh, today, actually, entitled Israel's Drone Dominance by Jefferson Morley, and he's a staff writer for Salon in Washington. And here's what he had to say in part. This is, to me, quite amazing, but not surprising. I guess this would fall under why are we not surprised column of our podcast today. Stark Aerospace of Mississippi is perhaps the only foreign-owned company with FAA 
permission to fly a drone in the United States airspace. Based in the town of Columbus, not far from Mississippi State University, Stark is a subsidiary of the state-owned Israel Aerospace Industries. Not that you could tell from looking at the company's website, executive leadership, or affiliations. You have to go to the Mississippi's Secretary of State website to learn that two of Stark's three directors are Israelis. So too with the America's drone industry. The Israelis' influence is not visible, but it is real, documented, and extremely relevant to the future of drones in America. If you want to know how drones may change American airspace in coming years, just look to Israel, where the unmanned aerial vehicle market is thriving and drones are considered a reliable instrument of, quote, homeland security, unquote. Quote, there are three explanations for Israel's success in becoming a world leader in development and production of UAVs, unquote, a top Israeli official explained to the Jerusalem Post last year. Quote, we have unbelievable people and innovation, combat experience that helps us understand what we need and immediate operational use since we are always in a conflict which allows us to perfect our systems. So always in a conflict. Quite amazing. And, of course, the stories about drones here, the U.S. government, our CIA killing, doing the remote control killing. Chuck? Well, in, in Israel, the people 10 years ago when I was there in Gaza, on my one time in Gaza, one week, uh, the drones were an every night occurrence. They were using them then. They weren't big drones. They sounded like giant model airplanes, but they carried cameras, and they flew right over your head all the time at low altitude at night. And everybody knew that they were taking pictures, getting ready for attacks. Uh, you simply uh, expected it at night. You'd hear, you'd hear them go flying over. And uh, I asked people about it, and they said, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. They had nasty words to call the little things. Of course, we're being conditioned here for uh, homeland security purposes along the borders for you know protection against illegal immigration and all this kind of thing. So the American public is being conditioned to accept these, much like the Israeli uh, population has accepted the technology. And, of course, they're making hay out of it by actually selling these things all over the world. All right, well, that's our report for tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.